Today on the Prepper Journal, we're going to be talking about survival gear. This is part two of the other podcast that took me a whole lot longer than I thought it was going to. And uh, today uh, we're going to be getting into more of the gear types of aspects of the survival gear. So stay tuned. Journal Podcast. Welcome back, everybody. So, uh, so last and the last podcast, I know we covered a lot of ground, but it seems like the concepts that we covered were not that varied. They were big concepts. So, you know, shelter, water, water filtration, you know, uh, storing water, food, food preparation, um, you know, and we got into a lot of various topics, but some of those were much more broad and, and, and more basic. And so today we want to drill down into part two of that list hopefully the the continuation and the the finale of that list um and that will give you a good start on you know the gear items that i think everyone ideally would have at their disposal and uh, like i said in the last podcast none of these things are um well i should say many of these things are just going to be common pieces of gear that you have Anyway, just as by nature of you being a, you know, an American consumer with a house, um, everything that I talk about here is going to be multi-purpose. So it's not like you have to buy something and it's only good if, you know, zombies start walking down the street or the grid collapses. So everything we're going to be talking about here can be used in your everyday life as well, which is great because uh, you should have it on hand. It's nothing you have to buy specially. And uh, you know, you'll, you'll be comfortable with it all. So let's just dive right in. Okay, so let's get into it. So after all the items we talked about in the last podcast, now we're going to start with clothing. Uh, and clothing, you might think is a no-brainer, right? Because who walks around naked right now? And that's true, but just because you have clothes doesn't mean that those are appropriate for harsh conditions or survival. Uh, women will not be running around in yoga pants for very long, and your cool skinny jeans that show just the right amount of guy ankle will be junk in short order, I think. Clothing for survival needs to be able to take some abuse and keep you protected while it's taking some abuse. We're talking about durable farm work type of clothing, or at least Hiking gear, you know, gear that is designed to be out in the elements and potentially rubbing up against the elements. So when we say this, think about it with this frame of reference. You'll be outside more. So if the grid goes down, remember our, our scenario from the first podcast was, or the first part of this episode was, it's a, it's a grid down type of economic collapse. Um, you know, everybody's not going to be sitting in their house watching, you know, Netflix all day long or playing their, um, Xbox, you know, 360 or whatever, whatever it's called now you'll be outside potentially subjected to rougher environments. So you want clothes that can stand up to that task. I have a few pair of Carhartt work pants. I even have a pair of overalls. I've always, I've always felt like I needed to have a pair of overalls. Although I never wear them, I just feel like it's something that, as a guy, I should have a pair of overalls just so I could do that thing where I kind of stick my hands inside the front part of my overalls. Maybe it's just a, it's a redneck thing. Anyway, I have a pair of Carhartt overalls that are in great shape because I hardly ever wear them. Usually when I do, it's just in the wintertime. But all this clothing can take a serious beating. You can drag your butt all across concrete, you know, and it's it's still going to be, it, it will not fall apart on you. Um, and sometimes you, it might not even rip or tear. 
In addition to clothing durability, you need to have layers. Um, you know, and if you're outside in the winter working, you probably will tear that nice puffy jacket that you have. We all have them. Everybody has a little puffy jacket that looks cool and it's, it's trendy. Um, base layers that wick sweat away are better. And cotton is going to be deadly if you get it wet, so plan accordingly. And I, and I say that knowing full well that in the back of my mind, I don't truly believe that cotton is deadly. I don't believe that cotton is going to kill you. Um, I know that every, every survival blogger out there, you know, will say, don't ever wear cotton. You'll die if you get wet and you'll, you'll freeze to death. And yeah, okay, fine. Maybe you have to, you have to, you know, be smart about it. But it's not like cotton was just invented and people just all of a sudden started dying. Cotton's been around for a very long time and people live just fine, working way harder than we've ever thought about working. So the thing with cotton is it doesn't dry out as quickly. So, you know, you have to make sure that you don't get that wet if you're going to be in a situation where the water, uh, cold water potentially, is going to be leaching heat away from your body. Um great in the summertime but bad in the wintertime so you know don't worry that you have to buy all polypropylene plastic you know nylon kind of clothing um just know that if you do have cotton you know be careful when you are working and you get wet that's what the layers are for so you know if you start to sweat you take those layers off until you're a little bit cold again that way you're not creating sweat inside your clothes that are harder to get dry off my soapbox now. Um, next up, work boots or sturdy hiking boots. Uh, your footwear should be looked at with an eye towards protecting your feet. And you know, many of you will say, "Duh!" Uh, fashion will go out the window in an emergency, but you want to keep you want to be able to keep up with everyone else if the situation is bad. So you do not want your poor footwear to you know make you lag behind and. And I say this, um, you know, knowing full well that I walk out the house sometimes uh, in flip-flops, even though that's a horrible choice for someone who, you know, is potentially going to be in a bad situation. I do have sturdy hiking boots. I have um, at least two pair of very, very sturdy hiking boots. Um, I don't... I don't have any work boots, but those would work just the same. You just want to make sure that this is footwear that you have that can take a beating. And you can walk all day in them without getting any kind of blisters. So just having the footwear is one thing. You need to make sure that your feet are used to that footwear. Um, and then you'll be better protected all around. Next up, heavy-duty gloves. So good, sturdy work gloves will be needed. Um, most of us aren't as used to working outside with our hands as we'd like to be. Now, yes... There are some that work outside all the time, and this may seem, you know, you know, kind of wimpy to you. I mean, I know some people uh, can can work all day without gloves, and they're just fine. Not me. I sit behind a desk, and I, you know, work behind a computer all day long. So if I'm going to go out there and do some strenuous physical activity with my hands especially, uh, I'm going to make sure I have gloves on to protect my hands, at least until I build up calluses again, you know, and if the grid goes down, that will happen sooner or later, I'm sure. That's just a, you know, note about clothing. Everybody has clothing again, just make, you know, smart choices with what you have and augment where you, where you have some lacking. Next would be security. This is a subject that some people disagree on, but not as many as there used to be. Um, you know, you can take all the steps to protect your family from the elements, from lacking water or food, but it doesn't matter how well-fed and warm you are if their physical safety is compromised by bad people. And for that reason and many others, I believe any survival gear list is lacking if you don't have a plan for physical security. What's that mean? Well, for me, that means that I want the resources and conviction to answer violence or threat to my family with equal measure. In the U.S. alone, just in 2020, over 17 million background checks were run for firearm purchases. That was last year. 17.2 million people 
bought a gun at least 17.2 million so you got to figure it's much more than that and that doesn't count illegal firearms or the ones that have already been purchased so it stands to reason that eventually someone with a gun could cross your path firearms are the only realistic choice in my opinion that you have when you hope to be able to to defend yourself although i'll mention some less lethal options so for my individual security gear list so our survival security gear list uh, first would be uh, firearms obviously so first a personal handgun with three magazines individual firearms should be your next to the last line of defense assuming you have a full complement of firearms procured already um so pistols in this situation or in this specific instance are a good first option though if you're looking for something for home defense um i wrote well i've written several articles about firearms but you can read more about what i recommend in our post called the top five you know firearms you need to get your hands on now it's linked in this article um, but that shows you the top five like if you're starting with nothing and you're trying to build out your survival arsenal here's what i think you should have and in what order and why i think that um you know so pistol with three magazines uh, you know, make sure you have at least three magazines, ideally more, although you don't need to have a billion magazines. You just need to have enough so that you have a supply uh, and you have the, the you know, supply to train with and supply in case you lose one. Next would be a personal rifle with six magazines. This to me is the better option for security. A semi-automatic rifle like the AR and AK variants are are the de facto standards for most preppers out there. And we debate the merits of each of these two rifles um, in several articles on the Prepper Journal. But either one you get, it doesn't matter. Pick one. Pick one you like. Um, either one of those will do a good job at defending your family. Again, training is non-negotiable, and you want to be very proficient in your main battle rifle. So, um, you know, make sure you get it. And I know training is hard now because the cost of ammo is so ridiculous. The cost of firearms is ridiculous. And I'm personally not training as much as I want to because I don't want to deplete my ammo supply, especially now when it's hard to find and super expensive when you do find it. Um Again, backup magazines for the rifle, too. I have probably 20 rifle magazines. So it's more than I, more than I need, but, you know, I'm, I'm looking at this as a, a longer-term investment. Um, next up is the, a holster for that pistol or a battle belt. Um, a battle belt is really just a holster with extra stuff on it. It's like a batman utility belt yes you can tuck your pistol into the back of your pants like they do in the movies but this is just asking for trouble if you ask me no i have never rolled into a nightclub with my pistol tucked in the back of my pants uh just because that seems like an extremely bad idea to me um and if you're one of those people who likes to wear really baggy pants what are you going to do then so you need a place to hold that pistol okay you can go with something like a battle belt with, that allows you to configure additional pouches on your belt that are fastened and ready to go at a moment's notice. I have a, I have a Safari Land, I think it's a 6005 tactical holster that I ripped all the, the back mounting gear off of and I have it mounted to my, um, my battle belt. And that's just a, a safe light belt. It's made out of scuba webbing. So it's, I mean, it, it's hard as all get out uh, vertically. I mean, you know, when you wrap it around yourself, you know, it, it, it moves just fine. But on that belt, I have one section for my pistol magazines, one holder for my rifle magazine, and then I've got uh, room on the back for a tourniquet and an IFAC. Then I have my holster for my main pistol. And then all I have to do is grab that, snap it on, drop my pistol in, drop my mags in, and it's ready to go. 
And that way I have a stable platform to hold all this gear that's going to stand up when I'm rolling, you know, running, rolling, um, you know, crouching down. It's not going to be something that falls out of my pants when I'm running across, you know, somebody's yard. That's just not the way I want to go out. So um, if you don't have that, you can just have a good Kydex holster or Kydex like holster. Uh, and you can do this belt mounted or you can have it. Um, well, you can have a belt on. You need to have a belt on to give the, give the clips on your holster something to grab onto. So when you pull that holster up, you don't want to just have it attached to your pants because you pull the holster you pull the pistol up really quickly and sometimes the holster is going to come with you so you want the holster to grip onto the belt and stay there while you you know draw the pistol um either way i've got i've got both kydex holsters and you know this this battle belt that i have set up ammo for each firearm firearms without ammo are just expensive paperweights and you don't need to drop thousands of dollars for ammo but I personally believe, you know, the more you have, the better to a point. Um, and we have guidelines for suggested ammo minimums in our free ammo inventory spreadsheet. And it's linked in this article. But um, that's probably a, a nice to have. You want to start small. Make sure you have, you know, a couple of boxes of ammo for at least each pistol you know, try to get 500 rounds for that battle rifle. And then if that's all you can get, if that's all you can afford, you're still going to be in much better shape than your your neighbor who doesn't have anything. Uh, so after ammo, cleaning kits. You know, shooting a firearm introduces a lot of powder, gunk, and chemicals, not to mention dirt or mud that just carrying one around all the time can can bring. Now, I know that proponents of the AK will say, well, you don't have to ever clean them and they're much more resistant to trash and blah, blah, blah. Yes. Yeah, I'm sure. But it still needs to be cleaned. And there's there's nothing wrong with having a clean rifle. It's going to perform better for you all the time anyway. Um, you know, one of the common complaints I have or I hear about AR-15s is that, oh, if you don't clean them after every you know round that goes through them, you're going to have a misfire. And that's not been my case at all. I mean, I was in the army and we fired, you know, um, M16s, which is essentially just the military version of the AR platform. Um, and I never, I never had a problem with misfiring, jamming, and I fired a lot of rounds through um, my rifles. So your experience may vary. However, no matter what you choose, no matter where you fall on, on that argument, make sure you have a good cleaning kit. They're really cheap, um, all you want to do is to be able to remove that corrosion, remove that dust, oil, and, you know, lubricate your weapon so that it functions properly. It's a tool. You're going to have to take care of it. It's, it's not like a wooden spoon. It's a piece of machinery that, you know, you're going to want to make sure it's metal. So you're going to want to make sure it's protected from corrosion, you know, common sense stuff. Next, uh, a weapon light. To me, they're not necessary. However, they are incredibly useful. Um, you know, some people go with lasers and all, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I don't think that's necessary. You know, you can do whatever you want to. I have a, a Streamlight, a 500 lumen light on my nightstand gun. So I, I pick up that gun, flip the switch, and it's got 500 lumens of light shining right where my barrel is pointed. Um, I also have a Streamlight 1000 lumen flashlight on my rifle. Um, yes, you could hold a flashlight in one hand, maybe if, if, you know, we're talking about your pistol and, you know, and, and still shine a light on what you're looking at and be able to, you know, use your pistol effectively. But to me, you know, it's just easier. I honestly put that off for a long time because I didn't want to spend the money on a light and I don't carry it. Hey, my my daily carry does not have a light on it because, you know, it's just it's one of the things that I, I figure I'm rarely going to need it. Potentially, you know, all things being equal. Um, I didn't want to buy a new holster to fit my light because the holster I have does not fit a light on it. So a um, couple of the reasons I'm lazy or cheap, you know, you can call it what it is. Um, I do have it for my nightstand gun because if i'm pulling that out chances are it's night and i want light to see you know what i'm shooting at my daily carry it's going to be a different situation if i'm out walking around outside of my house usually there's going to be light uh, of some sort 
So that was my decision process for why I did that. Firearms are one thing, very important. Um, I'll get to some options here in a minute. But next step would be a knife and or cutting tools. Now, in the category of self-defense, knives are not my go-to for self-defense. In fact, I would hate to be in a knife fight. But I'm adding them here because um, I didn't include an overall tool section in this list. So they're dual purpose. Again, the thought being that, you know, you're at home. Many of these items are already common, you know, that you have inside your house. Uh, there's a lot of articles that we've written on tools that should be in your survival checklist. Again, we'll link to them in this article that will be linked in the podcast. That being said, a good survival knife is a must. I think it's a must on your survival gear list. And when I'm talking about a good survival knife, I primarily think of a fixed blade knife. So really quickly, for those of you who don't know, a pocket knife is not a fixed blade knife. It has a blade, but it has a, that pivot point in the middle is a weak point. Uh, and your hand is back here completely behind the, the, the weak point of that knife. So it's not as sturdy. It's not as strong. Um, pocket knives are fine. They make some really good ones. But if, if we're talking about survival gear, you want a robust knife that is capable of serious use without breaking. Uh, because who wants to be out there trying to do something, you know, to save your family's life and then have your knife break? It doesn't have to be, a good survival knife doesn't have to be ridiculously long. Remember Rambo, his knife? Um, I forget how long the thing was, but it was crazy. And I remember after that movie came out, you could see the knockoff Rambo knives everywhere. Um, and everybody, you know, every kid in school wanted to get one of those, you know, Rambo knives, which is really, I mean, the blade must have been like a foot long. It was just insane. But it was cool at the time. Um, you know, there are a lot of good options out there that are, they don't have to be, you know, a, you know, like a, like a machete, but you do want a fixed blade. So SE, um, you know, Gerber, LMF, that is my favorite knife just because it's extremely sturdy. It was tested out and provisioned by the military. I think it was for, ideally it was meant for helicopter pilots. Um, I might be misremembering that, but it's called the Gerber LMF-2. It's a very, very sturdy knife, and it's not extremely expensive. It comes with a great um, sheath, and it's got a sharpener on it, and it'll do probably any task you, you need it to do. After a good knife is a multi-tool. Multi-tools are, again, something that pretty much every prepper is going to have. They're amazing creations, but the comment that I hear most people say about them is that they use them to open boxes and that's it. And to be fair, I've done the same thing. I used to wear a Leatherman on my belt and I also had a, a little small Phoenix flashlight on my belt. So I wore these two things around my belt all day, every day. And I would, I, I mean, I, I worked in a job where I had to deal with boxes a lot. And so my multi-tool got used primarily to open boxes. However, I, um, I have used every attachment on my multi-tool at some point. And, you know, I think these are just, you know, invaluable pieces of equipment that, you know, everybody should have one. Uh, I've had the Leatherman Wave for many years now. I think I've actually had two of them. Great knife. It won't let you down. I've also had a Gerber multi-tool and... It was, um, Gerber makes nice blades, um, but their multi-tool that I had was just a little bit more clunky than the Leatherman. So I prefer the Leatherman. Also, the Gerber was much cheaper. Um, so, you know, that probably has something to do with it. But either of those two, you know, if you have one of those, that's pretty good. Next is a hatchet. Sometimes you need to chop wood. And a survival knife, while you can chop wood with the survival knife, um, you know, it's called batoning. Uh, it's, you can do that, but it's not ideal. Axes are a little bit too long, I think, but a hatchet is the right size. Plus a hatchet's more portable and it's easily handled by smaller framed people. Um, and you know, when it's used right and it's really sharp, it's an incredibly useful tool. And when I say a, a hatchet, don't 
go for like the tactical tomahawk. Um, those things just look silly. But get some, get a good quality hatchet from someone like Grand Force Brooks. Um, you will pay more for it. But in this case, if it's a tool that you're depending your life on, I'd say, you know, it's worth it. You'll get what you pay for. Those are some of the security tools. What about less lethal alternate security options? Um, some of you live in areas where firearm ownership is either illegal or it's so restricted that it might as well be. And regardless of that, you need a plan. You still need a plan to defend yourself. Um, a common suggestion is pepper spray or bear spray. Bear spray and pepper spray, it's essentially a chemical deterrent that gives you just enough time to get away. It's, it's not going to like put someone down and then you can just sit there and taunt them, you know, forever. If, if you hit someone with pepper spray, you're just buying enough time for, your, for yourself to get out of there, run away, if you're lucky. Bear spray has a little bit further reach and the can is bigger. I've seen or I've heard of, I haven't seen uh, pepper spray gel or pepper spray foam. Whatever you get, make sure it's something that you're comfortable using and, you know, you're ready to deploy that when you need to, if, to to save your life. Now, some people recommend wasp spray as a cheaper alternative. Like if you have no pepper spray uh, on hand, grab wasp spray and squirt the bad guy in the eye. Maybe that would work. I would not use that unless it was, you know, all hell had broken loose and I had no guns, no other weapons. And like I was like crawling around on the floor looking for something to save my life. And the only thing I could get my hands on was wasp spray. Yeah, sure. I'd try it, but I wouldn't stock up seven cans of wasp spray saying this is what I'm going to use to defeat the, you know, I don't know, the bad guys when they come knocking on my door. So, again, your mileage may vary. Air rifles. Now, when I say air rifles, I don't mean like the the Daisy, the Crossman, you know, the Red Rider, Red Rider, Triple Action, you know, Compass on the Stock. Uh, I mean a legitimate air rifle. And they they make these in big enough calibers that you can take down game with, uh, you know. And they're just about as expensive as a, a regular firearm. I've, you know, a lot of people in the UK have told me about these or made me aware of these. Uh, they have an air canister that that you know comes with them, so it's like a grown-up version of the you know the like the the pump Crossman. I think it was a Crossman 760. I I don't know how many times I shot that at cans in my backyard, but this is a a much bigger uh, form of that. And you could, you know, I'm sure you could kill somebody with it. If you can hunt game with it, you could kill somebody. So maybe that's a potential option. Crossbows, bow and arrow. Bows have been killing people long before pistols and AR-15s. A bow in the right hands can be just as deadly. Now, one advantage is that this can also be used for hunting, you know, if you're good enough at it. Uh, and especially when you don't want anyone to hear you. You can hunt with a bow and you have an advantage that no one hunting with a rifle is going to have and that's essentially silence uh, or you know considerably much more quiet some other options what about a stun gun or a taser i personally don't want to be that close to someone who's you know i feel like my life is threatened by if i don't have to um i want to be far away i i don't want them to be anywhere near me if possible that's why I like firearms. However, um, a stun gun or a taser could be a hidden last resort. So if you have nothing else, you know, that might buy you some time again. Stun somebody with that, tase them, then you need to get out of there um, because it's not, it's not going to put them down forever. So that's, that's security. Next is medical survival gear. Medical issues should be high on the survival gear list for everyone for one simple fact. In a crisis, healthcare will be overwhelmed. I mean, just look at the st statistics right now for, well, not now, but, you know, during the height of COVID, nobody wanted to go to the hospital. Um, and I'm not even sure if, you know, if you believe what the news media said, you would not likely be seen if you went into the hospital. So imagine something that actually was crippling to our na national infrastructure, like a grid down 
you know, economic collapse like we're talking about. If you think going to the hospital while COVID was happening, something that has a 99% survival rate, what happens when there's a 15% survival rate? Medical needs are going to be something that should be top of mind for every prepper out there. Um, imagine if our if our country was in dire straits like Venezuela, who during COVID basically had people saying, we don't want to go to the hospital because the health care is so bad. You're going to be on your own to treat your family members, or at least that's what we that's what we prepare for. Hopefully you're not. Hopefully you can go to the, ho the hospital and you can receive good medical care and you are fine. But you have to plan like you're going to be on your own. Obviously, doctors go to school for years for a very good reason. Uh, medical, all, all types of medical personnel go to school uh, to learn what they're doing um, to keep you safe. Without serious training, you'll be limited in what you can do. But assuming you're not shot in the head, many wounds can heal on their own as long as blood loss is stopped and the infection is prevented. So your body heals itself. It's not like they give you a Band-Aid and that heals you. It just makes it so your body can heal yourself. Now, you got to make sure that there's nothing traumatic impacting your body from performing that healing function, like you're not breathing, you're bleeding to death, uh, you have some kind of massive infection. But these are the things that we can take steps to treat. And health and first aid is such a broad subject um, that I, you know, and I cover it in much greater detail in some other articles on the Prepper Journal that I'll link to here. But, you know, for the gear that you could use, I'm going to go through some of those items. So first aid, basic first aid, and this is different levels. Every home should have a basic first aid kit, but make sure you do some research before you purchase one. Most first aid kits that I see on Amazon are really, whenever they say like 750 piece first aid kit, it's, it's really 600 band-aids of various shapes and sizes and then some, some other stuff in there. You want something that's not a basic first aid kit. Well, or should I say, in addition to a basic first aid kit, you want something more substantial like a wilderness first aid kit or a tactical med kit, you know, something like that that's going to have major trauma items that you can use. Um, so having those things is one. Again, the training is, is more important. The medical kit above or the medical kit that I was talking about is for the home, but you need to be able to render first aid if you're away from home. And the IFAC or individual first aid kit uh, is what the military carries. It's designed with the basic items you need to stop blood loss basically enough to stabilize someone so they can get back to proper medical supplies. So an IFAC has, generally it has a tourniquet, it has a nasopharyngeal airway, which is essentially just a piece of plastic that you push down someone's nose so that you can pass their tongue to create an airway. Uh, usually has a hemostat, um, hemostat seal for a sucking chest wound, although you really have to know what you're doing to Fix a sucking chest wound, because if you don't do it right, the, the blood's going to be in the lungs and the person's going to drown, essentially. And it also has, well, here. I've got one right here. I'm going to just open it up. <clears throat> scissors. Okay, so scissors. I have a, this is the nasopharyngeal, and it also has a little bit of lube that you squirt on there so it doesn't hurt going down your nose, although I think it would hurt going down your nose anyway. Uh, if I'm so bad off that you need to intubate me, if you need to give me an airway, I'm not going to worry about it. A uh, little bit of surgical scissors, so I don't know, you can cut, cut my pants off. Uh, some gloves, a compression bandage, and a tourniquet. So that's what's in... A tr you know, a traditional IFAC. And sometimes they're going to they're gonna vary with what they have in them, but it's essentially just enough first aid to get you back home is what it is. So stop the blood if you're bleeding out and uh, hopefully get you back to where you can get some good personal care. The average person needs a lot of training to just stabilize someone who has a serious injury. But you can learn this. No, you won't be a doctor. 
but there are many excellent reference books that give you the basics that you need. Now, I'm not saying that the grid goes down, you've got your survival medicine handbook in your backpack and you go out and you try to take over the next village and someone starts getting shot and you whip out your survival medicine handbook and start figuring out what to do with gunshot wounds. That's not going to happen either. You need to know this information um, so that you have it to recall readily, you know, if you do find yourself in a situation. But I've got a lot of research books that I have read and or I have available to me in case I need to read them later. And I'll, uh, I'll cover some of those printed resources down at the bottom. So when the Internet's not available, you want to make sure that you have educational material specifically around this um, niche. Uh, in this case, you know, survival medicine, so that you have access to information that is not going to disappear whenever the internet goes off. WebMD will not be available anymore, probably. Um, so you want to make sure that you can replace WebMD's knowledge, at least somewhat. Uh, next, blood stoppage or trauma. Uh, I mentioned the the first aid kit above. It's got usually a whole bunch of Band-Aids. Cuts and scrapes aren't generally bad enough to warrant serious measures to stop bleeding. Um, but if you have significant blood loss, a tourniquet may be necessary. And those are included in the IFAC I mentioned above. And um, a lot of people carry a single tourniquet with them wherever they go. I, I don't. I, um, I'm not that hardcore that I'm worried about, you know, needing to stop a, a bleeding artery every time I leave the house. But that's just me. Um, you know, there, there's plenty of videos on how to apply a tourniquet. And you know where you put it is is important. It's got to be uh, between the wound and your heart, essentially. And wherever your wound is, it's going to depend on you know where you can stick that tourniquet. You can't stick a tourniquet around your rib cage if you get shot in the stomach. I'm just saying. Um, but they are good to have. Some cuts require stitches. A lot of people stock suture material. And I think that I've I've personally tried to suture before. I mean, just a couple times, and it really is kind of a muscle memory type of thing to do the knots that I just can't get. And yeah, sure, if I was sitting there trying on a, a pig's foot, you know, for hours on end, I'm sure I could get pretty good at suturing. But to me, that just that's a skill that is going to be perishable unless you practice it. So I want a backup. I have skin staplers. So I'm pretty sure if I see a wound lay out there, I can lay that stapler on it and pop, 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 suture it with that skin stapler. These are disposable. They're on Amazon. I forget how much they are, but they're not crazy expensive. I have several. Um, so rather than sutures, I recommend a skin stapler. Now, there is a school of thought that, and I'm no medical expert, there is a school of thought, though, that says the more holes you put into the body, when you're trying to dress a wound like that, the more places you have to introduce infection. So rather than suture someone, you know, whole, 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 um, you know, some some uh, types of adhesive bandages where they just pull the wound together are are better. And that makes perfect sense to me. So I've seen some of these before where, you know, it's got like two sides and you almost zip it up. Um, you know, those would be great, too, instead of sutures and thread i just think that that's um for most superficial wounds on the exterior of the body that you're there are better options next up basic pain medication by pain medication i'm, re I'm referring to over-the-counter pain relievers um one of the things that we try to do is always have a supply of acetaminophen um, ibuprofen aspirin and then when our kids were smaller, children's pain relievers and fever reducers. At a minimum, we would have all those. Cold medicine is something else, you know, you know that too. But basic pain medication is, is important to have around. Antibiotics. Sooner or later, someone you know will need something a little stronger than a clean bandage. Um, antibiotics are used to treat bacterial infections. And a cut from a rusty piece of metal when the grid is up is not life-threatening. However, without something to fight the infection in a grid-down world, that bacterial infection could mean death. Antibiotics um, don't work on viruses, though, so they won't help you out with every illness. 
but there are alternatives out there. I'm not going to recommend them, but I know that everybody knows what I'm talking about. You know, for your fish tank, you know, antibiotics are not something that we have a lot of, you know, around our house, but there are some, um, there are some ways that homeopathic ways that you can, you know, try to get by without antibiotics, but they are going to be very critical in, you know, serious disasters. So make sure you have a plan for that. Sometimes doctors will give you some extra antibiotics, you know, general antibiotics, you know, if you have a good relationship with your doctor and you have a good reason. Um, but still, these all expire eventually. And when they do expire, their effectiveness goes down. So don't buy um, or don't have a bottle of antibiotics and just stick it on your shelf and then 10 years later think it's going to, you know, save someone who's got a, a serious infection. Uh, other accessories, alcohol, hydrogen peroxide, anti-itch cream, hand sanitizer, a thermometer, a stethoscope, blood pressure cuff. I have a stethoscope and a blood pressure cuff. I can put them on and I can tell you when someone's heart's beating, but I couldn't tell you what their blood pressure is, although I have family members who can. So these kind of things uh, definitely can come in handy. If you don't know how to use them, make sure that some people in your group know how to use them or buddy up with people who have medical training. Next up, sanitation and hygiene. Within the same category as first aid, I put sanitation and hygiene. And I think they're important considerations for our survival gear list because you can die from poor sanitation too. Uh, many of these items are self-explanatory, but we go into more information in our survival sanitation article which is also you know linked uh, on the show notes in in the main article so we'll start with personal protective equipment face mask latex gloves eye protection it, it, you know anyone who's come through the last year knows why these are important whether or not you believe in the uh, efficacy of face mask you can realize that some legitimate reasons would require that you want to have a face mask on. These are um, easy to get and keep. Nobody's going to look at you for having a whole bunch of face masks now on your shopping cart. Certainly not latex gloves, uh, which are good for dealing with anything icky. You know, it doesn't even have to be uh, the shopping cart at Walmart. It could be a dead body. So latex gloves, buy a couple boxes. I think the boxes come in. Let's see. I have a box right here box i have 100 large blue sapphire advanced synthetics gloves so just buy a couple boxes store them you uh, as long as they're out of the heat you know they will store forever soap toothbrushes toothpaste uh i mentioned before that i have big blocks you know i go to i can go to sam's and get the big blocks of ivory soap it's not the best soap in the world but it's pretty cheap and i can get the um the big block that holds, I think it's like 10 bars in each. Go go buy two or three of those, and then I'll keep you in soap for a very long time. Toothbrush, toothpaste. You always want to make sure you have good um, hygiene in your mouth as well. All sorts of infections can happen in your mouth. You don't want to do that. Plus, you don't want to have yucky breath. So make sure you have toothbrushes and toothpaste. Baby wipes, adult wipes. These are good for all sorts of reasons. Use your imagination. Uh, bleach or calcium hypochlorite powder. I talked about that with in the uh, water filtration uh, section. Being able to make bleach is going to help out in a lot of ways in terms of sanitation. Five-gallon buckets. These are useful in a myriad of ways. It's like the paracord of, I don't know, containers. Five-gallon bucket can store tools, it can store fluids, it can store anything you want to. You can store your poop, you can make a toilet out of it. Five-gallon buckets are great, they're cheap. Stack them up in your garage and don't worry about them. Heavy-duty trash bags, and I mean the heavy-duty black, the black trash bags that you see, you know, like the industrial-strength trash bags. And vinegar. Vinegar is good for all sorts of, you know, cleaning and, and hygiene-related items as well. So... Uh, a little bit about health and first aid. Next up is our power outage survival gear list. And most of this is around 
illumination or uh, backup power. So grid down, collapse, power is going to go out eventually. Um, most obvious is a way for you to see in the dark. My favorite is LED headlamps because everybody can strap one on their head. You can run around with them. You can use your hands. The light's always going to be pointed where your head's pointed. It's easier to use in a flashlight. And you don't, you don't ever set it down and forget about it. It's always on your head. And I always just wear these on my head. If, if I take it off or I, if I don't want it on my head, I just pull it down on my neck. That way I always have it with me when I'm camping. Um, my personal favorite. You can get these really, really cheap. I think you can get, I think on Amazon, you can get two headlamps for probably $19. They take a couple AAA batteries and they'll last for a good long time. Love them. If you have a bigger area you need to illuminate, propane lanterns are a good option, although that does use fuel. Um, propane lanterns also put off a decent amount of heat, so it could be an emergency heat source if wintertime's there. Well, not necessarily heat source, but you're, you're powering, you're, you're lighting your room and it's giving off a little bit of heat, and so it's keeping you warm. Uh, anything with fire, though, inside is, is not ideal. LED lanterns are a safer option, a safer option in my mind um, than propane. You know, if it tips over in the middle of the night inside the tent, you don't have to worry about it. What about short-term backup power? A portable generator um, is good for short-term backup power. It's not a long-term option, I don't think. Um, even if you have thousands of gallons of fuel, a generator makes a lot of noise. And if you ever go outside whenever like a winter storm knocks out the power, you can hear who has a generator a very long way away. So imagine grid down, uh, collapse. You haven't had any food for 30 days and you know that your neighbor down the street has a generator. Um, you're not the only one that knows your neighbor down the street has a generator. So that person and their generator um, could be in for some conflict. Solar-powered options are better, in my opinion, because they're quiet, and uh, you don't need fuel. Um, you just need the sun. You can bring them in your house. No one will even know you have them if, unless they see your solar panels. Um, optionally, a power inverter connected to your car battery can work for a little while. You've seen these uh, power inverters. It's about the shape of a size of a brick. You clip it on to your car battery, and then you can plug in uh, regular cords into there, and you can run a couple different things. Maybe charge your charge your cell phone, or charge a portable radio, or charge you know a couple of USB chargers or headlamps or whatever. Um, these things come in handy, and you can use the last of that fuel in your car. A battery recharger is one of the, the things I was talking about. You could charge up. So the USB battery pack, essentially just a big battery. You charge that up and then you can charge all your electronic devices off of that for a little while. And then lastly, we come to reference material. So I mentioned when the grid goes down, you're not going to have WebMD. And I strongly believe this. And years and years and years ago, I started buying books just because of that uh, that threat right there, well, it was it was a little bit more than that. So the initial threat was like, what if the power goes out? What if the internet goes out? All this knowledge that I rely on day to day is hidden from me if I don't have a backup source. So I started getting books. Um, but then it started turning into a little bit more of, you know, uh, well, even if it is online, even if I do have access to it online, People can change it. People can take it away. Um, you know, that type of censor censorship, for lack of a better word, manipulation of the information um, is possible. So I don't I don't want to have uh, that to be any kind of worry. So I put these books in um, a few different categories and I will uh, I'll just go through some of the, the big categories. All the links to the books are in the article. Um, that is part of the show notes. So if you want to see, and we have, um, you know, survival book article on our site that's got links to all these articles or links to a lot of books. And they're in, in some major categories. So the first category is homesteading or self-sufficient self, self -sufficient skills. This is things like 
canning, you know, animal, you know, livestock, you know, raising that kind of thing, building shelters or building, you know, things with hand tools. So all, all good things to learn are good sources of information to have if, you know, if you can't go down to Lowe's and buy a, a power drill, let's just say. Next category would be national, uh, natural remedies or first aid. A huge section. I've even got a war surgery book in there, and I hope I never have to use it. I don't, I can't tell you how good it is, but you know, it is a resource I have just in case. Um, again, I hope I never have to use it. And then I, I purposely left off a few areas that um, some people may consider, you know, vital. I didn't go into home security at all, but I have a lot of articles on that topic. Just look for home security on the Prepper Journal. Um, if I would have done that, it would have been, you know, a, a lot longer. I also didn't go into communication because I have a lot of articles on grid down communication. There's all sorts of um, household repair items. Um, there's things like body armor and gas mask and night vision and 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 you can go into 150 different you know topics with this kind of stuff. But I think the 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 75 that I presented over these past two podcasts are baseline essentials that you need to keep your family in as good a shape as they can be, considering the survival scenario that we were talking about before. Again. It's going, it's going to depend on the disaster. I've said this in I don't know how many um, blog posts, but it really just depends on the disaster. No one knew, even though as preppers we had talked about a pandemic for I don't know how many years, no one really kind of expected COVID to be the way it was. I will say that I was very surprised about the toilet paper, even though I had toilet paper stocked up. So I kind of laughed at everybody um, who was going to the store and all my family, you know, said, what are we going to do about you have toilet paper stocked up, right? And of course, I've got toilet paper stocked up. But um, every disaster is different. How people react is different. The situation that you're going through is going to be different. You know, just having some of these items on hand is going to allow you to be in a position where you can make different decisions than if you didn't have any of this gear so rather than panicking and running out to the stores and who knows what happening if you can relax in some of the comfort and peace of mind that just comes with preparedness knowing that you are prepared <clears throat> mentally and with resources and supplies to handle these disruptions it's going to make you in a much better position to be able to help yourself and to help others and i hope that you know everything that we're doing on this podcast you know reinforces that message so that's what i have today again this is part two of a very long um, article and i just thank everyone for listening and i'll see you soon